Welcome to Tech Junior. Hey everybody, we've got a great show today. We're talking to Aisha Blake, a developer for Detroit Labs, about going to conferences, hosting them, giving talks, and a little bit about diversity in tech and some of the challenges that Aisha has faced. Uh, we think this is a really great episode, so we hope you enjoy it. Uh, next, if you want to support the show, there's two things you can do. First, go to our website at techjr.dev and click subscribe. Uh, second, tell your friends about our podcast, tweet what you like about it, uh, tweet to us, leave a review on iTunes, do all the things. Um, anything you can do to spread the word is greatly appreciated. All right, that being said, let's go ahead and get on with it. On to the show. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Warwick, full stack JavaScript developer. I have with me as always Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie. <laughs> and we also have a special guest. We have Aisha Blake. Aisha, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am an application developer at Detroit Labs. I also do a whole bunch of community work. I am one of the co organizers of Self Conference. I am starting a new tech conference called Title of Conf, and I run a couple of communities here in Detroit, including Detroit Speakers in Tech. Fantastic. Yeah, so we, we really uh, are excited to have you on the show because you, you seem to be super involved in uh, the community and kind of doing all the things, it seems like. Um, yeah, and yeah, so, that's my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Also, uh, really interested in the uh, the conference names. I think maybe is MetaConf coming soon. Is is that going to be the third one? Or <laughs> <laughs> it would be appropriate. Yeah, I think that would that would kind of roll with it. But um, so yeah, if you could just maybe start with uh, how you got into to coding and kind of a little bit of that story. Yeah, sure. It's kind of a long roundabout route. Um. I started learning to code when I was a teenager using Neopets, uh, which for anybody who doesn't know is, or was, it, it kind of died, but uh, it's a website where you could go and you had pets think like Tamagotchi, that sort of thing. And you, you had these Neopets that you had to care for, you, you know. You kept them happy, you fed them, you played games with them. That was really what I was there for, for a long time. They had like tons and tons of Flash games. And I realized that you could change the way that some of the web pages looked. Uh, so, you know, you had your own profile, your pets had profiles, you had a shop, you had a guild, you had all of these things, and you could edit them. And so I learned HTML and CSS in an effort to make my Neopets pages prettier. Uh, and eventually I realized that that was a thing that you could do for money. And so when I went off to college, eventually my major was information science. Uh, so once I graduated, I actually joined the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. So I was kind of figuring out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I was placed in Detroit and loved it. 
because of my degree, I was sort of placed in this position where I was teaching web development and robotics, which was not a thing that I knew how to do at all in any way. (laughs) Can I just ask like what an information science degree focuses on or what it teaches? Yeah, sure. So it was explained to me as being computer science, but a little more practical. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was meant to focus on the application of computer science a little bit more. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of that. I spent my time in college learning some things, but mostly being just completely immersing myself in community. Very similar to what I do now, honestly. Oh, so that started even earlier in college then. Oh yeah, it's it's my it's been actually my whole life. <laughs> that is just that's just who I am as a person. <laughs> are are would you consider yourself like an extrovert or? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Um, so I guess when you uh, started teaching, um, you didn't feel prepared. So what mm-hmm. what was the uh, how did you catch up or like what skills did you have to learn to get into uh, teaching? Yeah, I uh so I reached out to the local GDI chapter, Girl Develop It. Um and it at the time it was run by a woman named Erica and she kind of reached back out. She's like, "Hey, come and sit in on a class. See how we do things." Uh and I got really involved with the organization and I wound up uh, becoming a chapter leader. Uh, after months and months of volunteering for them, in addition to my full-time volunteering. Uh, And so by the end of that time, I was in a really good position to accept a job at a boot camp called Grand Circus, where I was coordinating their high school programs. So they were teaching, you know, just basic front-end web development to these students and I was helping out with curriculum, making sure that the teachers needed, had what they needed and uh, stepping into TA or to teach when needed. And as I continued on with that boot camp, I sort of grew into this teaching role. So, you know, I would help, I helped out with the curriculum for the boot camps. I was a TA and then eventually I was an instructor at Grand Circus. What was the age group of that first class you taught? Uh, they would have been anywhere from 13 to about 18. Okay. And that was the uh, before the boot camp, I'm, I'm thinking? So that was, it was sort of in between things. Okay. Uh, Grand Circus became a boot camp, uh. like a full boot camp while I worked there. Uh, that wasn't necessarily originally the plan. I think they were doing more corporate training. Like they would provide space. They would, in some cases, go out and find an expert who could uh, conduct a workshop, but they weren't writing their own curriculum at the time. Cool. So you kind of, um, you finish your degree, you learn some things, but maybe not the things you were hoping for or expecting then kind of rolled into some volunteer work, uh, continue to learn, continue to teach. 
And then uh, I believe you started some freelance work after that? That's right. Uh, While I was a volunteer, actually, I started... um, I started kind of figuring out, okay, like I I need to do something with my life after my year of service is over. What should I do? Like, what do I need to know? Uh, I was actually working at a Catholic high school. And so I had the whole week off for Easter. And that week, I just completely submerged myself in treehouse videos uh team treehouse yeah (laughs) yeah we're familiar um and so i i did that full-time for a week and i was like okay this is the time i'm gonna activate that you know two-week free trial or whatever it was and i just i just kind of went at it and i was like oh my god this whole world has opened up to me all of these like really because like I knew the languages, um, but I didn't know, I didn't really know a lot about how design translated into the code for a web page. I didn't know how to launch a website. I, I didn't know really how to translate some of the theory that I had learned in school to an actual working project. And so I started a Fiverr account because that was like the only freelance site that I knew at the time. And I also wasn't really supposed to be making money during that period. And so I just, I just kept the money on Fiverr, like didn't touch it. I just did the, I just did the jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gave me experience with a whole bunch of different CMSs and, um, like e-commerce platforms. And so by the time I got to, I, by the time I finished my year of service, I felt a lot more comfortable um, even without having had like a job as a developer. What were some of those, uh, I guess, freelance jobs you got off of Fiverr? It was just a handful of them. That was my first encounter with like a static site generator, for example. So um, I was introduced to Jekyll, working on a job for somebody who I had done other work for in the past. And uh, a couple of different CMSs. So like my first Shopify job was through Fiverr. I think maybe even my first WordPress job. Yeah. Cool. Um, So what what kind of tech stack did you know like before team treehouse videos and like what what kind of stuff did you pick up during that time oh yeah before that it was just sort of a smattering of things so like i knew html and css like that was my that was my baseline i knew i knew some javascript like i i had taken programming classes but the application of said javascript was uh, a little odd i remember having to like draw flags like like the flags for different countries using javascript as a final exam okay like without that's that's a really odd (laughs) final exam project yeah yeah i agree um i knew like a little bit of php maybe maybe a little python um, but i had spent the most time on like in school on c plus plus 
which I have never used since. Oh, good uh, golly. Wow. Yeah. How do, you, how do you feel about C++ for maybe any of the people that have never tried it before out there? I think going back to it now, I could see feeling more more comfortable. But at the time, I, I didn't understand what object-oriented programming was. Like I showed up and I felt like I had missed like three weeks of classes. Wow. <laughs> and so I was a struggle. It was just a struggle the entire time. And I would go to office hours and the TA would like be sort of checked out and not really helpful. Mm. Uh, that was rough. It was definitely rough. It feels like a kind of a common thread as we talk to more and more people that have done a traditional uh, computer science route through like a degree program that a lot of people um, really, really kind of struggle to learn the practical stuff um, in college. And then on top of that, like the curriculum itself is not really geared towards job preparation. It's just kind of like this academia off by itself uh, learning you know, computer science fundamentals, but, you know, even, even with that focus, you still end up with a lot of gaps in that knowledge. So, um, you know, I keep hearing a lot of people say, oh, I want to, you know, get this degree. Um, and then I had to, after that, sit down and teach myself a ton of programming concepts before, uh, I could actually get out there and get a job. Um, and that seems like, I don't know, maybe we should do a whole episode on that or something, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think if I had done an internship or something like that, that would have been a good way to to learn some like industry norms, honestly. Like I I didn't know how to use version control by the time I'd graduated mm -hmm. with an information science degree. I just we'd never used it, which in retrospect is mind-boggling, but at the time, right. I just yeah. I just got really creative with my file names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, I had a similar experience when I went to to college. Um, it actually turned me off to programming, and I kind of came back to it later in life through a code boot camp. But uh, yeah, we, we were doing like Java programming and Notepad, and mm -hmm. learning about binary in class and hexadecimal, and then had to go home and print like triangles of the screen and stuff. Yep. Um, and then, you know, at that point you're kind of like, uh, why am I even in this program? Because if it takes, you know, a semester to learn how to do a for loop, you know, when am I going to actually learn how to be an engineer and actually do this stuff? So very discouraging to me personally. So going back to the, the freelance stuff, um, it sounds like w was that all that work kind of through Fiverr and then you moved on from there or did you have like clients that you met in real life or... Yeah, um I got a I got most of my work through Fiverr and then everyone around me knew that this was something that I was kind of building up to. And so I did some work for a couple of local nonprofits as well. Um and then kind of went from there. So, yeah, awesome. it's been a combination of uh, sort of there was a period of my life in which I used Fiverr to find jobs. And then everything else has just been through word of mouth. Awesome. Cool. Um, and then I think you you said that you did an internship at some point? Yeah. So 
I left Grand Circus in, uh, I guess, the fall of 2016. And I had a few contract jobs that I was working at that point. I basically, after maybe, you know, six, six or eight months, I went on a month-long trip to Brazil. I came back and I started my internship at Detroit Labs. Okay, awesome. So what uh, what does Detroit Labs do? Is that like an agency or yeah. um, do they build like a product or what are they focused on? Uh, we do consulting work. So at one point, well, it's still, it's still mostly mobile projects. So native mobile, iOS, Android, we have like brilliant, brilliant mobile developers. Um, but we're lately taking on more web work. And, you know, I'm still... I'm still all, all web, all day, every day. So uh, that's been nice for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I am in this environment with a ton of just really, really incredible people who are really generous with their knowledge. So no, uh, no hybrid stuff over there? Um, we have a few people who are really knowledgeable. Um, specifically, I'm thinking about React Native. Yeah. Um, but since we have so many in, like incredible native mobile developers, we just, mm-hmm. as far as I know, haven't needed to do any work, any like hybrid apps. Okay. So what uh, what primary technology do you work with over there at, at Detroit Labs? Yeah, so the project I'm on right now is written mostly in TypeScript. Our front end is React. And I I also write some SQL and Python. Cool. Um, so how do you feel about TypeScript in React? Yeah, that's interesting. I resisted for a while. I it just <laughs> it just didn't feel right. I don't know. I feel like it was more of a personal thing though. It was like you've I felt like a, a security blanket had been ripped away more than any like real technical issue i had with (laughs) with typescript but now that i've been working with it for so long it's been i've been at detroit labs almost two years uh and have been working with typescript almost that entire time i honestly really enjoy it i i i kind of get i feel like i get the the allure of strongly typed languages now because you got to remember, I had that first experience with C plus plus. It was, it was a struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So my personal feelings on it are that kind of like TypeScript doesn't really shine until you're on a larger code base and uh, you've kind of like taken the bitter medicine and and gotten used to it, and then like you get to enjoy the benefits of like the IntelliSense and yeah, um, the yeah. type checking and, and all that stuff, but. As a beginner starting out and just, you know, learning React is bad enough, but then, oh, you want me to add TypeScript into it? And then all of a sudden you're writing interfaces and stuff. You're like, gosh, I just want to make this API call. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just becomes like this giant pain. So uh, I haven't actually tried React in TypeScript or TypeScript in React, but uh, is it something that you would say is kind of easy to get started up with through like Create React app or something? Or yeah, I was going to ask, how that? do you get that to... How do you get that started or work together? Yeah, so this project has been going on longer than I have been at the company. Um, and so I don't, I'm not sure what what they went through to get it all started up. 
I would say, honestly, that it's probably easier to step into a project that's already doing it. Um, If you have that opportunity, it's easier, definitely. You won't have the benefit of having kind of walked through some of those architecture decisions yourself, obviously. But in terms of learning how to use it, I think it is more straightforward to walk into a project that is working on that stack already. So for example, if you are looking for an open source project to work on, like that's a time where you can say, okay, I, I really enjoy using this package or whatever it is, or this website. Um, and they just happen, you know, TypeScript and React. That is probably, you're probably going to learn faster at least in my experience, within that scenario, rather than trying to teach yourself as you're building it up, you will probably learn more if you are teaching yourself as you're building it up. Um, but it'll it'll take a little longer. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. Um, there's definitely a lot of lessons to be learned and kind of like jumping into a, an already established code base. Um, and I think. Uh, I haven't looked into it, like I said, but I think you can get going with TypeScript in React, I think, a, a little bit easier now than before uh, with some of the work that the Create React app team has done and, like, some of the other ecosystems that revolve around React. Um, but I just haven't had, you know, any cause to check it out yet. Yeah. Um, do, do you happen to, to do testing over there with your React applications? Oh, yeah. 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 Um... Is uh is testing with React and TypeScript tough, or is that not no, bad? No, I I haven't had any any real problems. Once it's again like getting it set up. <laughs> it's and the app that I work on is really large, and so part of it, part of the challenge, honestly, is like coordinating all of these different parts. Like, okay, so and so is working on the middleware and they have to and they have to figure out what this new response is going to look like and once we figure that out then we're building out these different components in the front end and how are they going to pull information from that response and you know kind of what needs to be where at that point then okay how do we test this to make sure that it's actually doing what we want it to do at each of those levels what test framework are you using uh, we are using, I think it's Jest. Okay. Um, I haven't tried Jest. Uh, well, I take that back. I, I did a very, very little bit of, of, uh, testing with Jest, but, uh, it's, it's on the, the back, uh, the bucket list, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Of tech to check out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know that you do a lot of conference talks and attend a lot of conferences and run your own conferences. How did that all get started like where did where did that come from Ooh. because it sounded like you had like a, a lot of um kind of trial and error in getting into technology and, and i don't think you've been doing it um that long it sounds like so how did, how did you get into giving talks at, at conferences as like kind of a newer developer yes so i got into speaking conference speaking super early on like I had been in the industry, and I use that term loosely because I did not have a job as a developer until two years ago. Um, but I, I had been 
I don't think I had even started my job at Grand Circus when I met Jason Langsdorf at an event called Camp Nerd Fitness. Whoa, that sounds cool. It, it was really cool. I <laughs> I was just, I loved it so much. They sadly wound up only doing three of these events. Um, but I went, this was the first one. And it was right, it was right after my year of service, like immediately after. And I had, I had saved up like five months of my stipend to be able to pay for this ticket. And I show up and I hadn't like booked a shuttle or anything. I had, I had rented, I wound up renting a car and it was like two, two and a half hours from the airport in Atlanta to this retreat center that we were going to be staying at for this event. And I guess Jason had met the guy running the event at some conference somewhere and decided at the last minute to come and participate. And so he hadn't booked a shuttle either. And so I had been just hanging around and meeting these people that I had talked to online for so long, just like chilling in the airport with them because, you know, it didn't really matter when I left. And so I was around when one of the like staff members was like, hey, is anybody driving, willing to carpool? And so, you know, we just kind of wound up together. And, you know, we're chatting, getting to know each other. I don't think we'd even made it out of the parking lot before I was like, well, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an aspiring web developer. <laughs> and he goes, oh, so cool. Have you started speaking yet? And I was like, did you hear me? <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't know anything. Basically, he was like, "Well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you, you know, you know things. You know things that other people don't know. You have experience. You've had experiences that other people haven't had. You have a perspective that is entirely your own. So you can speak." He got me in touch with the very first conference that I was ever accepted to. He just. He took my he took my email and that was and that was it. I wound up going to that conference the following year and seeing him again there. And we've just kind of kept in touch for I guess the four four and a half years. Yeah. Um I mostly see him at conferences. I think I exclusively see him at conferences. <laughs> um, but it's just it was just the exact right thing to say and then to follow up and, and do at the exact right time. And now I just, I love speaking. I love going to conferences. I love kind of getting, helping people get to the point where they can, where they feel comfortable enough to actually put a proposal together and, and go for it. What was your first talk about? My very first talk was basically about diversity and inclusion in tech and trying to get at some actionable things that people could do to make their company safer and more and more inclusive. Cool. What uh, I mean, aside from, hey, dummies, hire (laughs) more diverse people (laughs) like what what are some of the the takeaways from that? 
Yeah. So some of some of it was about how you go about hiring people from different backgrounds. So like rather than emailing someone who works with a women in technology nonprofit and asking them to blast your information out to their entire list, which is a thing that I have, that's an email that I've gotten many times. Wow. <laughs> uh, actually showing up to those meetings and getting to know the community and trying to partner on things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, re- it's like empowering the employees from underrepresented groups that you do have to be an active part in determining your policies and being visible like outside of the company. So one of the things that is really important to me that Detroit Labs does really well is support people in getting training if they want to speak, but also in actually getting to conferences. We have, uh, yeah, so if you are a speaker at a conference and there are a couple of other stipulations, but there it's pretty, it's pretty lightweight. Essentially, if you are a speaker at a conference and you're making it clear that you work at Detroit Labs, you just get money back uh, for, for speaking. So I can be reimbursed. Um, I can be reimbursed for the money that I spend, you know, on my hotel or my flight or whatever it is. Uh, and I don't have to pull from my personal develop or my professional development budget to do that. It is really nice cool. up to, um, up to a certain amount of money. You, you know, you can't <laughs> just, you know, go to Australia, but you, yeah. but you can do it as many times as you want. So last year oh, okay. I went to about 20 conferences. Wow. wow. <laughs> did you speak at all? Of them? No, no. Oh. Okay. <laughs> How many did you speak at? Okay. It was probably like 14 of them. Oh, wow. That's still <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so you spoke at most of them. <laughs> so um, it sounds like you gave like this really good talk about hiring practices and kind of like the tech community itself and how it can be better. And you, this was before you had a job in tech, right? Like before you were officially like a full-time developer. That is true. I was an instructor at the time. So how did you, uh, did you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready. I'm not the person to give this talk or I, you know, are they going to take me seriously or like, did you have doubts? Oh yeah. Um, I still have those feelings. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I... The difference between me as a speaker then, okay, there are a lot of differences between me as a speaker then and me as a speaker now. But one one big thing in, in terms of feeling like an imposter, feeling the nerves, is that the time that I feel like I'm going to throw up has reduced significantly. Wow. <laughs> so like whereas before when I first started it was like probably a couple of weeks. Now we're down to like 15 minutes before the talk. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um 
I guess it was well received because you've <laughs> continued to to give conference yeah. talks, right? It um the first the first talk that I gave, so I was accepted to this conference that Jason connected me with, but the first conference I actually attended, spoke at was self conference here in Detroit. And that was like this really friendly okay. environment where I could kind of test the waters and and see what it was like to just be on stage talking about tech things. Did you practice at meetups or anything before um, I, going to I the conference? I didn't. I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, and one of the okay. one of the things that we do in Detroit Speakers in Tech is provide space for people to do that and to get direct feedback. Um, okay. I I practiced it once for my coworkers and it was terrible. <laughs> it was absolutely awful. I came away and I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I am going to bomb this. It is going to be a disaster. I'm going to need to like, leave the country (laughs) (laughs) the second so for (laughs) no what were you gonna say the second go round at self-conference was a lot better thankfully okay awesome um so for anybody out there that's maybe a junior developer or hasn't even gotten a job yet uh what kind of advice do you have for them as far as like speaking at conferences do you think it's something that they should do do you have any tips for them if they decide to do it? Yeah, absolutely. So there are so many aspects of going to a conference that I think are incredibly beneficial at any, really at any point in your career, but particularly when you're really new, it's, there are so many ways for you to connect with people in the industry, so many things for you to learn. Just There's so much. And speaking in practical terms, speaking is a really great way for you to get to those conferences without spending a ton of money. Like, <laughs> it's great for your career separately. But yeah. that is, that's a worry for a lot of people. And I think it's a huge barrier. But being a speaker being or even being a volunteer uh, those are really really great ways to just kind of get yourself out there and start making connections in the industry Um, when we're talking about speaking specifically absolutely like it doesn't matter how long you've been in the industry as far as I'm concerned like you have something to say we have an apprenticeship at Detroit Labs that uh, and so people kind of come in without any any experience at all necessarily, uh, and they come in and you know they'll learn whatever whatever the apprenticeship is that that round. So it could be Java, it could be iOS. Um, we had a QA apprenticeship, um, but they'll come they'll come in without having had necessarily a job in the industry. They don't necessarily have to have had any formal education in any sort of tech thing. Um, But as soon as, as soon as people graduate from that program, I'm like, okay, 
what are you going to talk about now? Like, how are we going <laughs> to, how are we going to get you to this next conference? Like, what are, what do you have, what do you have for me? And I'm really excited. Uh, a couple of the people that went through our most recent, boot, um, most recent apprenticeship are starting to develop proposals and submit them. We've got an internal conference as cool. well uh, that I'm, this is our second year and I'm really excited about it. Uh, and I know that a bunch, at least at least a few of them are putting stuff together. And so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to reading those proposals. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I've, I've kind of, as I got started in tech, I, I've kind of stumbled upon, hey, there's a conference thing in tech and just realize that all across the country and all across across the world, there's just conferences about anything and everything that you could be interested in. And people are speaking there and they're giving awesome talks. But uh, the other shocking aspect to it was like even for one in town, like here in Orlando, I think uh, we looked at like an Angular conference last year or something. Mm -hmm. And the ticket was like 600 bucks or something crazy. And so that was like a total non-starter for me. I was like, nope, no way am I going to that. Um, and I know like companies have reimbursement programs and stuff, but, uh, kind of as I've warmed up to the conference idea, uh, personally, I've kind of looked into, Hey, maybe I could give a uh, talk at a conference and then actually get to go and enjoy all the other speaking that's there. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, it's something that maybe more people should take a look at. I have a whole workshop on how to go to conferences for free with an asterisk. Oh, really? (laughs) what's Um, the asterisk well it's never going to be completely free unless you are like (laughs) it's probably not going to be completely free uh but it might be uh so it's things like it's things like volunteering speaking my personal rule is that i never pay for a conference ticket myself never i have yet to do it with one exception I paid $25 to go to the very first cause a scene conf in Chicago and it was worth it. (laughs) I drove myself there. It's about four, four and a half hours. I drove there. (laughs) I went to the conference and I drove back home. Um, Wow. It was wild. It was a wild night. I think it was coming. I think I had just flown back from another conference but I was like, I have oh, to go wow. to this thing. And, but aside from that, all of the literally dozens of conferences I have been to, not once have I paid for a ticket. I feel very strongly about this. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like maybe uh, that's something you should ask if you're in an interview with a, you're in talks with applying to a company or something like, hey, what do you, do you send your people to yeah, conferences? Or, might be a, yeah, might be a just, good one. Conferences, uh, professional development in general, I think it's so important to have that top of mind as you're moving forward. Like, it could be conferences, and that you know, I know they're not for everyone. Um, they can be they can be really hard for some people, um, but as long as you are actively doing something, whether that be conferences or meetups or like code retreats or courses whatever it is i think it's important to keep a focus on learning always 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got sure. one more conference question. <laughs> um, how do you write a proposal? Like, as do you have any tips or any guidance yes, on that? Yes, I do. <laughs> so my biggest tip, the first thing that I always say is read the CFP, the call for proposals. It is astonishing to me as a conference organizer, how many people clearly have not read the instructions before <laughs> they wow. propose a talk. I, it's, it's a little frustrating, but honestly, it's like the worst part about it is just knowing that this person is not going to understand why they weren't chosen. Like, it's really easy for me to see like, okay, I told you not to give me your personal information and you included your name in this proposal. I'm immediately, uh -huh. I, and you know, not everybody who works on self-conference does this, but personally, I'm immediately like, you could not follow these very simple instructions. I don't have time for this. No, my vote is no. And I move on because you have possibly only seconds to grab the attention of whoever is on that selection committee. And if you, have just ignored what they told you to do, what they outlined for you, spelled out. It's a hard, it's a really hard sell. Um, the second thing is to keep it short. Um, give, give the necessary relevant information, but be as succinct as you can. Because again, even for a smaller conference like self-conference, we're looking at hundreds of proposals and some people are looking at thousands and so it's really important for you to make it really clear to whoever's reading that proposal why they should choose you in as few words as possible and then once you've done that you've you've read the instructions you've kind of pared down what you want to say so that it is kind of quick and to the point then you want to make sure that it's interesting. So your abstract is most likely going to be what is put into the program during the actual conference. So that's going to need to appeal to both the selection committee and the eventual attendees of the conference. Your, depending on the call for proposals, like, there might be different, uh, there might be different fields that you need to fill out, but almost always you're going to need a headshot, you're going to need a bio, and you're going to need an abstract. Beyond that, probably there will be a space for you to type notes, and that's where you can kind of expand. For me personally, I don't read that section until I've decided, okay, this abstract is worth looking further into. Um, so those are things like logistical notes, like the feedback talk that I gave all last year really uh, had this sort of workshoppy bit at the end. And so I was like, I don't want to be in an auditorium or, or anything like that where it's hard for people to get up and move around because they're going to need to talk to each other. So those are the types of things that you would include in like notes. Um, but yeah, okay. those are those are my top three. Cool. Um, as far as like picking a topic to do a talk on, uh, is that something that, like, if you go to a JS talk, uh, or a JS conference, I mean, 
do you have to do a JavaScript talk or do you have to do something like bizarre <laughs> or never heard of in JavaScript <laughs> or can you can you select something that's maybe a little more mundane? Excellent question. No, you don't have to. Um, even if you go to a more even if you go to a more specific conference, you know, language specific, platform specific, you can absolutely other things. Uh, usually those other things are probably going to be related to soft skills, people skills, whatever you want to call them. Things that are going to be still going to be directly applicable to the attendees' work, um, but not always. I went to this amazing conference in Romania a couple months ago called JS Heroes, and some of the talks were about CSS and markup, and okay. it was incredible. So it really, it really just depends. I always say, like, don't self-select out. Like, if you have a talk and you feel really strongly about it, and you should feel strongly about it because you're going to be thinking and talking about it a lot, and you're just, it's just really important to be able to do that without getting sick of it. Uh, but if you've got that topic, write, write up the abstract. Send it out there. You know, you're going to tailor it a little bit depending on the instructions in the call for proposals because you totally read them. But, <laughs> <laughs> but once you have that written, that's that's the hard part as far as the application goes, usually. Like, send it out to wherever you want to speak and let them decide whether or not they want you to come. Okay. Uh, any any point toward, um, I guess, the uniqueness of the talk? Or do you have to do, like, something absolutely bananas and impressive on stage? Or I think that's maybe something that holds some people back. So I'd be curious to, to sure. hear what you think about that. Some people, some conferences will say, like, we want, we want to make sure that this that you've not given this talk anywhere else we want to be the first but aside from that really that's that's pretty much it 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 doesn't matter if you know 700 people have done an intro talk on i don't sequel alchemy i'm pretty sure that's that's not a thing but <laughs> <laughs> Someone's making a JS package <laughs> for it right now. But you know, Somewhere maybe you feel really strongly about SQL Alchemy, and even if 700 other people did too, that's okay. Because you have your own experience with SQL Alchemy, and you are going to have a different spin on it than a ton of other people. I went to a talk at Pi Tennessee last year, and it was essentially about how we learn. But it was so interesting because this guy related it to how he learns to play a piece on, I think it was, I think it was a viola. And he brought the viola. And like, cool. he went through his whole talk and he had a couple of really quick demonstrations where he would like, he would demonstrate, you know, this is how I would repeat a phrase and change the way that I approach that phrase every time. Uh, but he did that. 
And all of the information was stuff that I had already heard, but it sunk in really deeply because he hooked me with this very per- this very personal experience that he had had. And so despite the fact that I I didn't learn anything new, it it definitely struck me in a different way. And so I was so glad that I went to this talk. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I think um, as long as you're putting your own kind of touch or spin or perspective to it, and you can make that interesting and accessible to everybody, uh, you, you probably have something good to bring to the table, even if you are Absolutely. doing like an intro talk, right? So um, moving away from the the conference uh, stuff a little bit, um, I know you do a lot of community work and a lot of uh, a lot of work towards kind of this diversity problem that we have in tech. And I guess as a country and as a world. Um, so can you maybe outline kind of what that challenge is and, and what it looks like Ooh. and who it affects? Okay. <laughs> and that's kind of a tough one. Huh? <laughs> um, okay. So from my perspective, and I, and I come to all of, all of this as a black, young-ish at this point woman, um, <laughs> There, there are definitely layers to that experience, um, but there are, there are lots of other intersections that happen. Um, for me, though, it's it's partly not seeing people that look like you or that have had certain experiences that you've had uh, just through through life. It's not seeing those people in positions of leadership. Uh, it's not being taken seriously often, uh, not being believed when you bring something up. Um, either, you know, either something that has come up with an individual person or uh, not being. Uh, not having, just not being heard generally, not having your ideas heard, not having your concerns heard. Um, feeling, feeling alone. That's, that's a big part of it for me. Uh, I feel like I have to fight constantly and prove myself over and over and over again. I feel like I have to be this person who is constantly doing everything possible and like constantly speaking and writing and building things and creating and like nurturing communities and also being a really good developer and also like being the best, the absolute best person I can be on my team. And like, I feel like that is, I feel like that's my bare minimum. That that kind of is encompasses the problem for me. Well, do you feel like any of that's mm-hmm. kind of changed since you started or gotten a little better? Or? Um, unfortunately, no. no. I think that I don't think that a whole lot has changed there since I started. Um, I compare it to some of the stories that my mom has told me. Um, she mm-hmm. worked for IBM for 30 years. And she started her, yeah. Wow. (laughs) She started her career as an engineer in the 70s. So young black woman. uh, 
with a streak, a red streak in her afro. Cool. There, there are some <laughs> really great awesome. pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and I compare some of the things that she's told me about to the things that I've experienced. Because, you know, there's also just straight up racism. Like, yeah. In addition to, you know, oh, I feel alone, it's, no, this was an actual, like, aggressive action directed at me. Um, so, I, and I compare those things, and with her, her experiences were a lot more overt. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, she had, she just told me about, like, clients who'd be on the phone with her making, like, dirty jokes or, or like, alluding to the kkk like oh wow. yeah it just Jeez. ridiculous over the top just terrifying behavior that you wouldn't that you wouldn't expect to see now mm-hmm. uh it, it definitely still happens but it's uh but people are a little more subtle about it um yeah like for me, I feel like it's it takes the form of things like not being offered as much money as, and in one case for me, literally two thirds. I for I was offered uh, literally two thirds to teach a class that a white man had been offered the year before, wow. who I had wound up covering for. Um. So that was that was rough. Yeah, that's cr- Yeah, I think um if I may that uh we've kind of done a a good job in making steps towards publicly like shaming and de- denouncing just overt, you know, racist and and sexist stuff and kind of like as a society successfully like shamed some people. But at the same time, like we've kind of driven that stuff underground and made it like really subtle. So now, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, people just say like, no, we don't hire black people here. You know, black people can't be engineers or something. And now nowadays it's like you don't get the job because you're not a quote culture fit or something like that. Yeah, there's the oh, mm, it just doesn't feel like the right thing for us right now to like uh, these like interpersonal microaggressions, like just the note of surprise when I say that I'm a developer or like Mm. immediately telling me that you voted for Obama or like, (laughs) I've gotten some real strange (laughs) things. Oh, hi. Nice to meet you. I also voted for Obama. (laughs) That is brilliant. <laughs> so um, with uh, with some of the community work that you're doing, uh, it sounds like you're doing a lot to kind of raise the visibility that, hey, dummies, like people that are smart and in tech come from various backgrounds and look different and are male and female and everything in between. So um, have you have you seen any like uh, any progress in, in that area from like the, the programs that you're running? Particularly with Detroit Speakers in Tech, which came out of Global Diversity CFP Day, which is this massive global event that uh, has happened twice now. Um, And the whole idea is getting people 
uh, is putting together this workshop where people can put a talk together, a proposal at least, get their bio, potentially get headshots, all of the things that you need to start applying. And it came out of, um, I believe it was Scotland JS and Scotland CSS. Definitely at least Scotland JS. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the idea was to get people up on stage who aren't normally represented there. And that kind of grew and grew and grew until uh, the guy who runs it, Peter, brought it to this global stage. And so we, my friend Novella and I, ran the first and the second <laughs> Detroit Global Diversity CFP Day. And we were kind of like, this is a thing we should do all the time. <laughs> we should always be encouraging people who aren't properly represented on stage to get up there themselves and you know help them get there. And so we started this meetup group and it's been really, really amazing in the last year to see the people who are starting to think, you know, hey, I maybe I could get up there and and be a conference speaker. Maybe I do have something to say. And, you know, while I'm working on it, I can go to this group and I can get feedback and I can bounce things off of people. And it, that that has been really cool. Cool. Yeah. Um we have uh, some some groups in our community, like, uh, <clears throat> I forget the name, but there's a, a local um, uh, chapter for, like, uh, black people in technology in, in like, Orlando. And um, I think there's some pushback against that kind of thing uh, from just, I guess, ignorant people or people that don't kind of understand the problem that's like, oh, well, why do they have to have their yeah. own special group kind of mm -hmm. thing, right? And um, I think that a, a lot of people are just totally missing the point um, and, and don't really understand the problem. And they're, they're kind of like making somebody else's issue about themselves whenever they, they kind of do that. Um, have you had to deal with any of that as a, a leader of some of these uh, different initiatives? I, uh, I once had a man come up to me after, after a conference talk about... Uh, and it was a version of that first talk about diversity and inclusion. He had not attended my talk, but just just the title was enough to get him in the room up up while I'm trying to like pack up my stuff and telling me about how like he his like great niece adopted a black child or something and like uh, we're he was basically like we're all good here like all the stuff you're talking about like that that was you know that was in the past that was 20 30 years ago that doesn't happen now yeah i'm like sir the fact that you felt comfortable coming up here having not even listened to the words that i said <laughs> like that is proof <laughs> enough that we still got a ways to go. Like, I also get a lot of um, meetup messages and emails, uh, basically, like, basically telling me that the events that I run that are meant to support women explicitly are exclusive to men, 
Um, and you know, why, why can't that you, why can't you just be open? Why can't you be inclusive? Yeah. But if I'm like, I haven't been to any of these events that you're running, but I would venture a guess to say that they're not exclusive to men. Right. So first off, it's just not true that we are excluding men. Like you can literally just show up and enjoy, you know, enjoy your, your time there. Like we, so we started global diversity CFP day, but at our last event, my white male boyfriend came and practiced his talk and it was great. Like there, but it's also like you get everything else. Just like if someone says, I want to have this space to share with people who understand this aspect of my identity. I think that's, I think that should be respected. Like, yeah. We like when you're in a minority, let alone several, it's incredibly difficult to feel like you can be your whole self all the time. And most people that I know don't feel that way. Like we talk about code switching. It's important to have a space where you don't have to do that. What is yeah. uh, code switching? So it's sort of like, um, chances are you behave a little bit differently with your family and friends versus someone you've just met in a professional setting, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. So when you talk, when you talk about code switching, um, that's sort of an extreme version of that. So if I'm with my family, the dialect that I use changes. The okay. the references that I will make change. And some of that is purely experience. We have like cert- like things happened within my family, right? That you know, I don't share with people at work. But it's it's a whole it can it can feel like a whole personality shift. Like mm-hmm. when uh, and I'm lucky, like for me at, at labs, I don't find that I have to do this. Or I feel like I have to do this nearly as much as I have in other, in other places, but it's, it's like a, it's like a safety blanket. It's like, it's a way to, it's almost like armor. Um, you, kind of sanitize yourself uh, to make to make yourself more palatable and it can be really exhausting to do that all the time yeah i was gonna say um i guess from my point of view it kind of sounds like you know in society maybe you're just in a professional setting or you know whenever you're not in a, a a place where people know you and you feel comfortable maybe you have to like suppress your blackness or your your feelings or your uh interests or or whatever and just kind of like make yourself more milk toast or you're just kind of like boring or safe or, or something like that uh just because you're a you know 
a black woman and you don't want to offend anybody or seem be taken less seriously or, or something to that effect. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of it. Um, it's, and it's awful. Like no one should have to feel that way. And, you know, I really, I really admire people who just simply choose not to, not to do that. But that's, that's a conscious decision. Like that is, that is a road that you choose to walk. And I don't feel, I personally don't feel like I'm in a place to do that. I like my, my sort of journey fight, whatever you want to call it is trying to, trying to build community, trying to be as visible as I can be and just doing the best that I can at the things that I know I'm good at. And, but at the same time, I know that I change the way that I speak, the way that I act, the way I communicate with other people to seem less like the scary, angry black lady. Because <laughs> I've told, I've gotten that. I've had, really? I've had it come back around to me that, like that coworkers thought that I was scary and like <laughs> I I don't I don't think that it was founded I'd like to think that I'm not uh, I'm not really getting that vibe <laughs> yeah yeah you seem very approachable well, thank you <laughs> uh, I, I imagine you're not like dressing up in Black Panther stuff in the office or <laughs> shouting like Black Power or something you know fist in the air or any of that kind of stuff at work right usually no <laughs> okay. definitely yeah, the occasional fair. fist in the air <laughs> <laughs> so yeah through the um through the community work uh i can just say like from my own perspective um going on like twitter or something and following a lot of people in tech uh seeing like a woman or a black person or somebody that's gay or trans or whatever um come out and post stuff that's you know very helpful and smart and interesting um kind of raises awareness that hey you know everybody can be smart and helpful and interesting and it doesn't have to be like you know a bunch of linus torvald like <laughs> uh pocket protector kind of folks that are like uh straight off of big bang theory or something that are actual yeah, like developers that. or something like that uh, and yeah, just Big Bang Theory is so hurtful. <laughs> just, <laughs> just thinking of that. But uh, yeah, I, I think um, we should be encouraging you know folks that are underrepresented to speak out and contribute to the discussion and do everything that we can to to help them because you know there's a lot of pushback that they get that most people don't see or even know about. For sure. So. Um, can you maybe uh, tell us about um, what conferences you're doing and, and when they're coming up and how we can find out about yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. I actually keep a Trello board that uh, keeps track of all of my conferences, like stuff that is on my radar, what I've applied to, been accepted to, all of that. Um, so oh, cool. coming up, I'm going to be... Um, I'm going to be volunteering at Strange Loop for I think this is like the fourth time. Strange Loop is one of my favorite conferences. Period. I'm going to be speaking at Abstractions and Write Speak Code, um, and then I am in preparation for 
self-conference and title of conf next year. Awesome. Okay. Is there uh, some Twitter handles we can follow or websites yes. or anything like that? Uh, and I'll send these to you too. Um, but strange loop is the strange loop.com. And I think registration is open right now. Um, abstractions is abstractions.io and mm-hmm. right speak code is right speak code.com. Oh. Awesome. And then <laughs> uh, self conference is selfconference.org. We're still working on the title of conf website. That is brand mm-hmm. spanking new. <laughs> where, uh, where can we find you personally online? Yeah. Um, Probably the best thing is to reach out on Twitter, and it's just Aisha Blake. I'm not super creative with my handles. <laughs> cool. Uh, do you have a website or anything that uh, we could post? Yeah, up? I just started a new personal site slash blog. It's only a blog right now. Uh, it's just Aisha Codes. So uh, definitely check out um, all the things that Aisha is doing, uh, making a lot of uh, good progress in the community. And just a very caring and helpful person. So um, thank you for for talking about all that stuff. I know it's not easy to kind of dive into some of that more hurtful uh, topics. For sure. Um, So at the end of the show, we always uh, do a little segment we call Nerd Minute, uh, where we just talk about like books, games, anime, movies, comics, whatever you're into. Um, what, uh, What have you been into lately? Yeah. So I love that you do this one. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's, can I, can I just tell you that I like to do it not just because we like this stuff, but because I think it, it helps uh, people that are uncomfortable talking about it, maybe talk about it. Yeah. And also realize that everybody has something that they're kind of like nerding out on. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, so I've always loved video games like since I was little. But only in the last couple weeks have I started streaming on Twitch and like watching Twitch. Oh, okay, cool. And so, what are you pl- what are you watching on stri- sw- oh, Sorry, Twitch. <laughs> um, so my friend Jessica is a streamer. Uh, her tag is Meta Dev Girl, and okay, I she plays a lot of the sims which i don't particularly enjoy oh, okay. but like <laughs> just have it like the back and forth that we have while she's streaming was so much fun that i was like this is a cool thing i kind of want to try it and so i've been like i've been getting my my setup together and getting and like getting re-immersed in the in these games that I had played before and but like kind of fell off of and also getting uh deep into some new ones as well I had a little bit of a binge just yesterday uh, on the steam summer sale yeah I saw oh. you uh you posted a, a haul picture on <laughs> on Twitter I was like yes <laughs> somebody else bitten by the the steam oh my goodness (laughs) i started i played one of them it's called a plague tale innocence oh okay yes uh and i stayed up far too late the only thing that (laughs) got me to bed was the fact that i knew i was going to do this interview in the morning (laughs) (laughs) we appreciate that (laughs) what kind of game is this 
Yeah, what what is it? Uh what's yeah, it about? What kind of it's game? like it's got adventure elements to it. Um it's like very story driven driven. Uh you play as a girl whose family is affected by the plague in France. Uh it's like this combination of the plague and the Inquisition and like it's very dark and very sad. I'm like mm-hmm. you you're like escaping the Inquisition and the and the rats that are that just come in this is like biblical proportions. It is <laughs> Okay. It's terrifying. But like also I feel so invested in their lives at this point. <laughs> like mm. it it's been it's been really great, you know, in my one night of playing. Sounds a little like um you ever played this war of mine? Yes. I think that's what it's called. Okay. Yeah, it's maybe maybe less depressing. It's definitely less depressing <laughs> than this war of mine. <laughs> there's there's some hope. Okay. I still have hope in this game. Cool. <laughs> Eddie, you're into anything uh lately? I have not played much. Um I saw a little bit of Detective Pikachu yesterday because you brought that up a couple of times. Oh, yeah. That was, that was uh, a good movie. Yeah. I caught the ending. And that was about it. This is the one where he... Does he speak in this movie? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, Ryan, I don't know Reynolds if I can handle that. Voice. It's... uh, They have a good reason for it, so they kind of explain it <clears throat> yeah. uh, throughout the movie. And he's toned down, so it's not like full-on Ryan Reynolds where he's just like Van Wilder slash Deadpool mode. Okay. Um, he's, uh, it's, it's kid friendly for the most part. Um, so I thought it was, uh, really enjoyable. Uh, I was definitely, yeah, Psyduck was made me laugh (laughs) so hard. (laughs) He's really odd looking (laughs) a little bit. Um, yeah, Yeah. it's weird to see them in like the real world with fur and whatnot. The hyper realistic Pokemon is kind of a, yeah, can be a little off putting, but, uh, I thought it was well done for the most part. Okay. Okay. Uh, give it a uh, shot if you're interested. I did yeah. see uh, the Brightbird. I think we spoke about Brightburn, this. Brightburn, yeah. Brightburn, okay. yeah. Oh, I don't know about so this. Ba- so basically it's what if Superman was uh, evil, Oh. Um, but at 12 years old. So as soon as he gets his powers and he just he goes nuts and becomes basically serial killer type of stuff. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah yeah it's pretty dark it's really dark that reminds me of sabrina and riverdale on netflix right now they just it's so upsetting they're these (laughs) like wonderful wholesome things that i remember from my childhood and they've just been corrupted (laughs) yeah i haven't seen sabrina or riverdale for that part but um i hear Good things, I guess. The only thing that I've got is uh, I started playing Borderlands a little bit. The first one? The first one. Oh. <laughs> my, so I'll share my Steam backlog is massive and shameful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's like over a thousand oh games my... and most of them I haven't wow. I haven't played. I'm not, I'm not at a thousand. Yeah, I've got uh, just some, some bad Steam summer sale problems. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I don't feel so bad now. Yeah, I don't. Don't beat yourself up because I'm I'm in a, a deeper mess. Um, and yeah, like as a developer, I spend most of my time playing around with technology instead of just like gaming. So, uh, but yeah, Borderlands uh, number one is uh, kind of mediocre so far. Um, Second one's better. 
Yeah. That's what I've yeah. heard. I played the first one for like five, six hours, and the second one I liked a bit more. It's The game's better if you play Fair with enough. other people. Uh, I am the, the solo uh, single-player campaign only person that doesn't ever do multiplayer stuff. That was so. me for a long time. Like, I was really put off by all of the like toxic online nonsense but the the twitch thing had well that's not fair my boyfriend actually got me pulled pulled me in that direction and i was like only playing with him and his friends for a while and now the like twitch thing has opened it up for me a lot more yeah, fair. I I would play with friends, I'm, the people I know, I'm not just random people. Maybe we can get a, a nerd minute, uh, like group going and, okay. and do some gaming or something. I love I mean, it. Borderlands Three is coming out. <laughs> so. uh, I have some catching up to do if that's going to be the game that we do. But <laughs> all right, so uh, I think we can wrap up there. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so so much, Aisha, for joining us today and and sharing all of your advice and wisdom and your story. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Awesome. Um, so yeah, check out uh, Aisha um, on Twitter and her website and her blog, and check out Selfconf and Title of Conf, and uh, go write proposals. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and proposals, yeah. yeah. Uh, send in some proposals, even better. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. You've been listening to Tech Junior. Head on over to our site at techjr.dev for show notes and past episodes. While you're there, click subscribe to get updates on the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. The show's handle is at techjrpodcast. Mine is at Jr. and Eddie's is at ed0ter0. Join us next week. We're going to be talking to Chris Biscardi, who is a developer for Gatsby and helped create the themes feature uh chris is an awesome guy um also worked for docker and uh has a a wide range of experience and is a bit of a rocket league fan so join us to uh to hear all about that all right everybody thanks so much for listening and that's all i've got so take care bye